Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 83 to New Chitose. Hi, Alex. Oh, man. What a place. What an airport, too. Did you like it? Did you like Hokkaido? I did. I loved it. I didn't know what to expect, but I really, really enjoyed it. I loved my entire experience from the airport on both sides of the trip. What a lovely place. I haven't been for quite a while, actually. I used to go quite often. We'll obviously talk about all your Japan trip in this episode, because that's not the only airport you've hit. We're not going to talk about the other airports, because they are some others that you've hit i've also hit quite a lot of airports actually since we last recorded so that gives us like this huge kind of backlog now of airports we don't have to think about which airport are we going to do next i have like at least seven lined up <laughs> and, and 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 alex has experienced a star wars plane i'm so jealous yes finally <laughs> i'd love to have it yeah because we talked about it beforehand and i was like oh well no there's no way and i kept trying to look on flight radar and sure enough there it was Oh my god, well we'll get there in, in a minute. This time I've written down some notes, guys, because I wanted to acknowledge some of the comments and we've got a ton. I know we keep saying that at every episode, but there's just no way for us to track everything that you're sending us. We really do appreciate that a lot, but I don't know, I need to hire someone to do that for us. Because, I mean, And you know, the other thing that is becoming also very successful is that picture-in-picture, picture, the layovers in context pictures. We're getting so many that I, I also kind of lost track. So I'm going to try to regroup after we do all these bouts of travels because we're right in between two bouts. So you just came back from Japan and you leaving also this week to, where is it? Abu the Middle East. Yeah. With Etihad. Yes, first time, first time in Etihad, first time to Abu Dhabi, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Nice. Okay. Which means that my trip to Karachi, which was on Etihad, we'll we'll talk about it in the next episode. So Alex and I can compare our Etihad experiences. We're today recording uh, Tuesday, November 20th, uh, 2018. And I came back last night, like at 11 p.m. with uh, Qatar Airways. And I did the Q suite. That was awesome. Yeah, very interested to hear about that. (laughs) I went to Doha as well and to Penang. Penang, man, man, Penang, that must be super high on your list. It's a, I know we keep saying every time, because we're very similar, we're very emotional with the destinations we're yeah. going to. So every time we fall in love with destinations, I fell in <laughs> love with, <laughs> I fell in love with Karachi. I'll talk about that probably the next episode. But Penang, man, it is the street food capital of the world, I think. It's, it's just insane. Wow, that's quite it, a statement. Uh, really, it is. And Georgetown, which is the capital of the island off the coast of Malaysia, Georgetown has this fabric because it has all these old buildings from the British rule. Some of them are a little bit down. Some of them have been like kind of hipsterized, I guess. <laughs> it's yeah. the right term. And it works really, really well. I mean, it's a fantastic destination. I, I, I wasn't expected. It's my discovery of 2018 along with Taipei. I really, wow. really adored it. But uh, we're not here to talk about this edition. That's for attaché. Although uh, you ventured, like you had promised the audience, you ventured off a destination and you talked about the Avroliner. Yeah, we did. We I think I mentioned it when we actually filmed this episode and I went on the Av- CityJet Avroliner and we filmed this little bit because 
CityJet are retiring the airplane and it's slowly, actually not even slowly, it's quickly disappearing from our skies. So I felt compelled to create this five or six minute homage to this wonderful piece of British engineering. So we did. And I, I have to tell you, I was delighted by the response. I thought people yeah. would be like, come on, this is boring. Get back to the to the usual travel stuff. But people people responded and they liked it. So I'm I'm quietly delighted about that. Not Not because they watched the video, but because they liked... The airplane, and they thought it yeah. was interesting. You guys watch it. It's on the YouTube channel of Attaché. It's uh, it's really well done. It's shorter than usual, but it's really, really well done. And I also loved it. I think I watched it twice already. Oh, well, well <laughs> it is. No, it was fun to make. <laughs> really nice. I love how some people in the comment section of YouTube uh, were basically telling you, oh, do some more flight reports. I, I'm not sure you want to do that because then you'll be like all these other guys, but that kind on a specific, you know, piece of history of, yeah. of travel is really good. I think it, I, it, I think yeah, because there's people who do that really well. Sam Chewy, of course, is the yeah, is the course, yeah. king of that. His stuff is so <laughs> so good, and he gets all this exclusive access. Perhaps there's a an op- an angle to do it about, as you say, specific airplanes or airlines or you know from a historical bent. Yeah, I I, I think your approach is more emotional. Uh, we just said we are both more emotional yeah. than the actual. You know, sometimes that like we do all, on this show as well the practicality. How is the seat? I mean, that's great, obviously, but I don't think that's exactly the philosophy of attaché. And that's why this Everliner video, guys, watch it fits uh, perfectly in that. Oh yeah, and I want to. Since I was talking about Penang, I want to make a shout out to Lance, who is Malaysian. He's based in KL, but actually uh, Penang is his uh, hometown, Georgetown. And he gave me all the addresses where to go eat. Oh, <laughs> and, that's, that's man. gold intel right there. You will do an, an attaché episode in Penang. There's no way out for you. You will do it, even yeah. before KL. I, I, I promise you that I will convince you to do that. <laughs> oh, well, you've, I've never heard you speak so passionately about a place, so I'm sold. And going there with Qatar was great. I'll come to that as well uh, in a bit. The other food discovery that we were talking about last night when I was coming back is uh, in Japan, you discovered the uh, Studio Tamaki, the best pizza in the world, right? Yeah, I have never had pizza that good anywhere in the world. It was absolutely staggering. In a quiet little place near Tokyo Tower, just sort of a couple of blocks back from one of the main streets, Tiny little place run by one guy who, as you said in our chat, was a, a an apprentice at some of the, the best pizza places in, in Japan. Holy hell, was that good. <laughs> Eric Wareheim, if, you, if you're not, uh, there's a show called Tim and Eric, and he's the Eric of, of that, Eric Wareheim. He's also a big food guy, a friend of David Chang's, and he put it on Instagram, and Greg and I are both big fans of his, and Greg saw it and said, we have to go to this place, and I'm so glad we did. Holy hell. Yeah, for me, it was uh, Craig, Craig Maud. He used to live at the same time in Tokyo. Now he, he lives part-time in Tokyo and in New York, New York if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And he had written even an article about it on Eater. Guys, if you ever go to Tokyo, and I'm going next month, <laughs> if you ever go to Tokyo, that's a, probably the best pizza in the world. And I know this will create a lot of controversy, but if you want to talk about the controversy, listen to Mastication Nation, because you just did pizza as well. We did. Uh, <laughs> yes, we did just do pizza. <laughs> There's a lot I could say about that, but this is not the purpose of this show. The only time we talk about pizza here is when we discover a good one in a lounge, which, by the way, we haven't heard about in a few weeks. Uh, Australian people, usually you are the ones that yeah, tell you us. Yeah, you got it in the Sydney lounges. Sydney was a Sydney? I think it was Sydney. 
Maybe was it? I don't recall. We really don't know enough. Uh, the Australian airports guys, we're sorry. But thank you because we have a huge listenership down under, as as they say. Oh yeah, talking about Australia, I wanted to make another shout out to hashtag Joello on Instagram. Back when I was in Australia with Etihad, actually in August. You were also, and I forgot to mention, you were also very helpful in telling me where to go in Melbourne, etc. I think he's based in Perth, if I'm not mistaken. Perth is another city, apparently, really nice that we should both go to at some point. Yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about Perth. What happened in these two weeks? Tons of stuff. Yeah. One thing that is not exactly aviation-related, but is completely insane, and I hope all your relatives are, are fine, is these fires in California. This is just completely batshit. Yeah, it's, wow. uh, it's absolutely horrendous. The deadliest fire in California history by by quite a long way now yeah yeah it's very sad to to watch from afar my my family and friends for the most part are are, are safe and yeah. happy and healthy but Good. the air quality in the greater bay area is the worst in the world right now yeah yeah it's worse than karachi which trust me was not that great yeah. <laughs> no matter how much i love the city yeah it's and i've read something i don't know how accurate it is that the Area of the fire is larger than Singapore and Taiwan combined. I believe that. It's it's monstrous. It's absolutely staggering. It's just crazy. And of course, there's pictures from San Francisco Airport and others when the visibility is very low. The planes are still landing. So the operations seem to be going fine. But I mean, man, it's crazy. What else? Oh, Alitalia has released the new uniform. I'm not understanding how do they set their priorities. The I was just look- thinking the same thing. <laughs> They're awesome, by the way. They look very classy, you know, Italian. They're always very good with fashion, but I just honestly don't really get it. Right. Anyway, um, talking about, since you talked about uh, Sam Shui, about travel bloggers. Yeah. By the way, do, do, do you ever have, when you enter an aircraft and you're trying to maybe uh, film some stuff, do you ever have like the comment from a attendant like, are you a blogger? Um, I rarely film, I try and film surreptitiously, so I haven't had anybody... <laughs> say anything but um when i went on the finnair a350 yes i did and as soon as i said i uh, told them about attache and about layovers that's when they're like oh come up to the flight deck and let me show you the the crew quarters and all that so yeah it was a very positive reaction because i'm always wondering i had that a few times and i don't really either you know film because i don't i mean i love taking a few pictures because some of the cabins are pretty insane <laughs> and we're very lucky to be in those but I had the comment and I, you know, I shut it down and said, no, no, I'm not. But I was wondering exactly that, how they would react. And maybe some of our listeners can tell us. Because I was wondering, maybe some of them are like, oh, one more of these guys uh, filling yeah, the yeah. cabin. Come on, we have enough of you. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I think I would probably lie and just and say, no, I just, I'm just an enthusiast. Which actually is, is true because the content that I make isn't directly related to airplanes. But with the layovers angle, it's always interesting. You know, how much, yeah. how much, it's even nerdier to say, no, but I have an aviation podcast. <laughs> <laughs> on the topic, uh, Derlus Anton at Derlus on Twitter told us that Aeroflot has stripped a travel blogger of his status and oral air miles because he wrote a critical tweet about the CEO of the airline. Jeez Louise. <laughs> so not all the airlines are very happy. And I've, I remember that once I was in the cabin of the Iberia flight from Madrid to London 
was it 340 i think it is and i was just taking again i was i'm not a blogger guys i was just taking a picture of the, the seat and whatever and i remember get scolded by the uh <laughs> one of the the attendant it was less about being scolded which i was like okay i'm sorry but more about the tone it was like come on you know that's what gets me so yeah. if it's policy or if you don't want me to there's very there's very easy ways to make it so that I'll comply, but if you're going to, and I still comply because it's well, it's a law, but the choice of tone is, is always what makes me feel aggrieved if I have to <laughs> comply. You know, <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, a little bit of feedback about our previous episodes. Julius D E R dot O T on Instagram. I told you guys, Instagram is becoming popular for people to contact us. Um, of course, he loves our podcast. Thank you so much, Julius. And he gives us feedback on Tegel. And he says, yeah, well, he accepts that, you know, Tegel is maybe not the best airport in the world. But he says, one thing that is true, I should have mentioned, because of its size, small, it's one of these rare airports where you can go from the plane to the curb in two minutes. And he's actually right. That is true. And that's a nice, that's a benefit for any airport. Yeah, it is something that uh, admittedly, especially in a capital, usually with these massive airports that are out of the city, it's pretty cool to have a capital airport when you can do that. So Julius, you're absolutely, absolutely right. That's a great right. point. Uh, on Instagram again, HWBRST talks about you, Alex, about Hong Kong. It says that if you're having food issues in HKG, just after immigration, you turn right you go to the Qantas Lounge, and around the time of the JAL flights, there is great Japanese food. I highly recommend it. Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, ordinarily, I would have bolted for the lounges anyway, but I had seven other people with me, so lounges were not an option. But that lounge is, is really good. It's really good, actually. And we've talked about how those Japanese flights influence the lounges, yeah. <laughs> lounge services across the world. Actually, it was very funny that uh, I was talking... I'm not going to mention in which flight, the four legs, I was talking to crew that were super cool, actually, and... Uh, uh, they were comparing the different type of nationalities and how people fly. And I'm not going to go because I don't want to put them in trouble because some of the stuff they say were not PC, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But the comment about Japanese was very nice. They said ex that they were uh, usually one of the kindest passengers and they were very, very... Uh, appreciative when the food was great and the food on Qatar is actually great. Talking about Qantas, because every time we go to that Terminal 3 at Heathrow, we choose the Cafe uh, Lounge. Have you ever tried the other, the Qantas Lounge? <laughs> I keep going, okay, this time I'm going to do it. Okay, this time I'm going to do it. But I always just get so comfortable in the Cafe Lounge that I haven't. But I've heard, well, we, we talked about a review somebody did recently, and they highlighted how excellent it was, especially the food. So I really must. I should force myself mm -hmm. next time to say, I'm not going to go to the cafe one. I'm going to try the contest. Though I'm not sure it's always open. I don't recall. But it always yeah, seems to be open when I, I think they've got, they've got pretty flexible hours there. It's entirely possible, indeed. Again, food and airports. Taylor Moore, T Moore 4000 on Twitter. Tells us that at Burbank, uh, the airport we did a few episodes ago, a good food option is Guy Fieri restaurants. I'm not, to be very honest with you guys, I'm not a huge fan of Guy Fieri in general, but I've never eaten at any of his restaurants, so I don't know. Have you? I will tell you this about Guy Fieri. What you might think about his personality and the things that he talks about, they don't resonate with me either. However, yeah. he goes to every of the major California wildfires and stays up for hours and hours and hours and cooks for all comers completely That's free. Nice. 
Every wow. single time. There's always pictures of him out there cooking and cooking and cooking and cooking for the for the fire crews, for volunteers, for people that have, that may have been affected by it. So, yeah, That's I mean, awesome. his content and his food doesn't necessarily appeal to me, but he does seem like a good dude. Uh, yeah. You know, when uh, all is said and done. I didn't know that, but yeah, I highly respect that. So. Yeah, me too. There you go. But I mean, at least Taylor says that's a good food option at Burbank. So maybe other other passengers who are transit there can actually tell us if it's the case. He also said that's a tidbit about Burbank that the airport is actually illegal due to the distance between the gates and the runway, but was grandfathered in. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. But it adds that there's a new terminal that is being built, will be built. I think the decision was made in 2016, and they're going to do like a new terminal. So that will obviously change that dynamic of the gates being too close to the runway. And finally, Taylor invites us to give us a set visit on whatever show he's working on. So I don't know which show you're working oh. on, but Taylor. That, I'm so very interested yeah, to do that. Me too. That's intriguing. Indeed. Another feedback, and this is really cool, from Jean-François Bourque. is from Montréal in Canada, and he used to work for Bombardier for 14 years. Oh, wow. As an aircraft mechanic, then inspector for the Global Express, so the XRS, the 5000-6000. And uh, he says that they were doing a lot of the interiors for the corporate airplanes. You know, Bombardier does a lot of these cool. corporate jets. First of all, it's so cool that we have people like you listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we never thought... In a million years, when we started doing this show, that pilots and you know people from the industry will listen. No, to be fully honest, absolutely not. <laughs> so, and plus, you have the feedback, you know, from you guys actually in giving us tidbits information is really awesome. So thank you so much, Alfonso. And he, he wants to call out what we said about the dividers in the CS 100-300, yeah. so the A220. He doesn't buy that Bombardier doesn't know how to do dividers because. They did dividers inside all the corporate aircrafts that they were producing. His take is that it's probably something that has to do with European approval of said dividers in a new aircraft, more than Bombardier doesn't know how to do dividers. He, he explains that, for instance, there were CRJs back in the day, like he talks about the 90s, where there were like four seats in the front and the economies in the back, and there was a divider. So Bombardier has the, the knowledge and how to create a divider. Yeah, that seems pretty reasonable, actually. It does seem entirely reasonable. And he listens to each episode, and you guys make a great show. Thank you so much, Alfonso. Oh, we really great. appreciate your, your comments here. And again, guys, we can't mention all of you. There's no. literally way too many messages, but keep them coming, really. We, we love that. Talking about these uh, picks in picks, we had like so many. I'm not going to mention them all, but there's uh, one of our <laughs> listeners where is DK from Australia, clearly, who has probably sent us about uh, 2,000 of these. So cool. I think every flight he makes... So thank you so much. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to feature all of these in our Instagram, but thank you so much. We really do appreciate. And he also sent us a picture of a hot dog in the lounge of Virgin Australia. And yeah. my God, that hot dog looks good. We're not going to add besides pizza, a hot dog spreadsheet. But have you ever had a hot dog in a lounge? I don't. I'm very sure I have not. Me neither. That one looks really good. Australians do it better. Yeah, I think lounge food in Australia sounds amazing. Yeah, all the lounges. Every single time we get a picture or something, it's always a great story, man. Uh, we should relocate. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> finally, pimp my dibber. Apparently, there was like a winter storm on the East Coast in the US. Uh, so on one side, you have the fires, and the other side, you have the... And he, <laughs> 
I, I love this comment. I know it's not totally PC, but people pairing up already, talking flights, family, then hotel availability in that order, got to be a lot of sex. <laughs> Uh, he's probably right. Actually, yeah. You know what? Every time there's like a brownout, you know, like a storm, there's always like nine months later, a lot of kids coming up. Yeah. I was born in September. Make the call. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> talking about cold. Happy birthday to Finner. They just turned 95. Isn't 95. that amazing? And they made this content. Have you seen this? They're trying their hand at like what people call content marketing, whatever, storytelling, whatever you want to call it. And they made this story about an author that is in Helsinki, he's on a layover and meeting with a photographer. It's very different from the usual advertising and marketing from other airlines. And it's pretty interesting. I don't know if they're going to keep up with that. I don't know the effect, but it's it's pretty nice. I you can find it, that. guys, on their YouTube and Facebook page. I'm pretty sure. Before we go to Alex's trip, one more, because we talked about these massive airports. One that we forgot to mention is the new Beijing Daxing International Airport. So the second international airport, which is when you think about it, it's, they already have this huge one and they're building a second one. It will open on June 30th next year. So it's almost ready. That's amazing. Wow. The, yeah, the really. rate of infrastructure growth in China is, just continues to astound me. Yeah, it's baffling. Also, with their high-speed trains and everything, yeah. it's absolutely, it seems completely out of this world sometimes. Yeah, it really does. So, to, to Japan, to Alex, Tsukiji has closed, but have you seen that there are some rogue <laughs> restaurateurs and rogue fishmongers yeah, who that just... are basically staying in the old Tsukiji and they are doing their business? It's pretty cool. <laughs> it is cool. Yeah, they were breaking through the fences to, to, to continue their, their wares, which is... Lovely and heartbreaking at the same time, but we actually went there and the new one, the no, the old one, well, okay. the, that area, and many of the of the famous restaurants are still open and still plying yeah. their trade. But um, you don't have to wait nearly as long as you used to have to in the past. Yeah, actually, I've both read and also seen pictures of the new one, and I made a mistake. There are actually tons of restaurants. The only uh, downside to it, and I think Kobu's uh, went there just now. He was on a trip in Japan. The only downside that I feel from it is that it looks like a mall. You have like these huge windows when you can see the market activities, and then you have all these restaurants, but there's no soul to it. It seems like, I mean, I'm sure the food is amazing, but it's like you being in one of these very big, you know, food courts that they do in mm -hmm. Japan when the last two floors of a yeah. mall would be, which is fine, but it's not Tsukiji. No, no, it's not. It's kind of lost a little bit of the soul, sadly. Yeah. Anyway, first maybe start how you went there from Ethro to, what was it, uh, Haneda, I guess? Haneda, yeah, on, uh, on ANA, who were uh, great nice. as always. It was the first time I'd gone into that that United Lounge, the business lounge, which is yeah, great. Because last time we you had access to the global first or whatever the, yes. the this, oh my god, this which was jealous. which was great, but almost to the it was like too quiet, you know. <laughs> uh, but this the business class one was rammed, so I guess there must yeah. have been other Star Alliance flights leaving at the same time. I think, I'm sorry to interrupt, that uh, Star Alliance, every time there's uh, flights leaving from B, they kind of tell you, if you want to have access to a lounge, you can go to the United. That's the one they give you. That's, I think it probably is the biggest one in Terminal 2B at Heathrow. But yeah, it's a very good one. It's a good one. It's it's Yeah, it was fine. It was comfortable, everything you needed. We weren't there for very long just because we had to, to get on the plane, which was fine. And you know, ANA is great. You've you've described the business class product uh, in the past, uh, as have I. <laughs> the physical seat is very comfortable. It's very very sturdy, almost to a fault. With that table, that operating table <laughs> that comes out, 
It's very good. The food is good. The service is oh, just outstanding. Again, oh. the one thing I think lets them that lets them down is the IFE is is very yeah. weak compared to other five star airlines. It's just not good. There's not much on there in any language, let alone in English. I think that lets them down. But you know, they have live TV. They've got Wi Fi, which is is fine. It's twenty US dollars for a hundred megs, uh, which if you're just on your phone, it's more than enough. Yeah. I still prefer that they tell you full flight and they don't go into these megabytes because they're not really sure what it means, but yeah. it's usually it's fine. I agree with you because it's the way that they pitch it is an hour, a few hours or the full flight for the price. And then underneath it says capped at 100 megs. It was like that last time we flew in them, which was pretty much almost exactly a year ago. But it's, it's good. It's fine. It's comfortable. We uh, arrived at Haneda with very... I think we were even early, but it was a long, long flight as that as it often is this time of year because of the winds. And when we arrived in the arrivals area, there was a huge press corps awaiting not us. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they looked very disappointed when we came out, actually. But I don't know who. I think, <laughs> I think it might have been some baseball players. They were coming over for the Japan All Star Series, which is American. All-Stars versus Japanese All-Stars. But yeah, the, we took the train into town and, and actually we had a night in Tokyo before we met up with our, our mutual good friend Joseph Tame and, and carried on on the Shinkansen. My niece, who has never been out of the US. Yeah, I was about to ask you that. That was something she, quite something. Yeah, she came with us. I, I, I flew her out from San Francisco on United, which she said was fine. I don't know. She hasn't gotten a whole heap to compare it to, but uh, she yeah, she said it was comfortable and... and she was on a Dreamliner, and there they, she arrived about 45 minutes ahead of me and was able to negotiate the immigration and baggage claim and customs and all of that by herself, so I was proud of her. The next day, we jumped on the Shinkansen down to Shizuoka, or near Shizuoka, actually. And I'm not going to get into too much detail because no, there's an no, attache no, no. episode coming, but we we filmed around that area, around Fuji, in the Shuzenji area, which is just breathtaking. Absolutely breathtaking as well. You may have seen some pictures on on my Instagram and on the attache Instagram. But yeah, just what a stunning part of yeah, the world. It's, it's a, yeah, it's fantastic. I got it's, to scratch yeah, a few a few itches as well, uh, as just personal like food-wise and, and experience-wise. So that was cool. But we ended up in Shizuoka. Have you ever been to Shizuoka? Yes. Well, it's a neat place. It's like a little mini Tokyo. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and, you know, that may sound glib because it's just a smaller city. But it has the vibe of Tokyo in that it's it's spotlessly clean, it's organized, there's a lot to it, but it's not as sort of bohemian as a Fukuoka or gritty as an Osaka or unusual as a, as a Sapporo. But I really liked it. And then we, we flew from Shizuoka Airport to up to Sapporo, and we were so bloody lucky because we flew at about four o'clock in the afternoon from Shizuoka, which is a... A very small but functional airport in the middle of nowhere. You have to drive through green tea fields to get there. <laughs> Literally through, the, like, there's these, these tiny country roads with green tea fields as far as the eye can see. And then all of a sudden there's this airport. <laughs> it's, got a, it's got a phenomenal observation area. Huge, absolutely huge outdoor observation area, airside. But there's hardly any movements. It's where Fuji Dream Airlines are based. Yeah. So their big hangar space there, and they've got obviously the most movements out of there. But in the hour and a half, that maybe even two hours that we were there, I think one plane landed, and that was a China 
China Eastern flight to Shanghai in A321. But we happened to take off at just the right time where we flew right past Fuji. The picture is on your Instagram. It's on my Instagram. And the light was just stunning. Perfect. And the flight yeah. was empty. So we were able to move around. Oh. It was a 737-800. We were able to move around and, and get the right angles. And Greg took some pictures. But again, it reminded me how flipping wonderful flying domestically in Japan is. Oh, yeah. I've done it, like, <laughs> not that much, maybe five times now. But every, I'm mean, just like, oh. This, it's a bliss. It's so like, good. You know, you had, on that plane, it was streaming IFE to your device. So there was streamable content. There was four channels of live TV. There was free, super fast Wi-Fi for the entire flight. There was a um, a meal, uh, not a, meal, a snack service if you wanted it with, with free bits and pieces and stuff to buy. One of the flight attendants saw Greg taking pictures and filming out of the window. And she said, what, what kind of camera is that? And they nerded out for a minute. And then she came back with a signed ANA postcard with a, an ANA wing and then Fuji. Wow. And signed it yeah, said you, have you, a you, have a great flight and all that. That's so kind. I mean this is the little things. Yeah. The little things matter, man. Wow. It is it is it it is the little things. It was so so kind and, and daring as well. And yeah, yeah, and just that was the theme throughout. We flew exclusively on ANA and that was the theme across all long haul and short haul flights. The crews were so so good. So yeah, they are. I agree. Engaged and interested and polite. I was. I was. I was there, because now on we mentioned quite a few times, both of us, that on long haul flights, international flights, the English language have seen a much higher proficiency compared to a few years ago. But how is it within Japan? Because I think the last time I flew ANA domestic was ten years ago. I haven't flown. I've flown many other airlines domestic in Japan, but not ANA. Is it different or is it? A- it's good. It's not as good as it is on international, but that's that's to be yeah. understood. What I have noticed, and and I'm sure that you'll you've noticed this as well, is that the level of English in Japan has has improved exponentially. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a concerted effort at the national yeah. level with yeah, the yeah, yeah. two big sporting events coming up: the Rugby World Cup next year and the Olympics after that. To be frank, you know, I think Japanese yeah, because they do learn English. It was more about not not wanting to not yeah. wanting is not the right term. More like you know how Japanese can be, and how do I say that correctly, is as long as they don't feel that they do something in a very good level, they won't even try yeah. to, to do it. So I think it was mostly a matter of unlocking and say, you know what, even if your English is not perfect, and come on, you know, 99% of the planet, their English is not perfect, yeah. just go with it and you'll be able to communicate. English was already there. It was just like dormant or something. No, I, 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 th- I think you're absolutely right. And I think the message has been this benefits us as a country or, right. or will. And I think that, as you say, has unlocked this this nascent ability to speak well i mean even like i went back to i go back to the same knife shop every time i'm in tokyo Mm -hmm. and our conversations get more and more detailed not because my japanese has gotten better certainly hasn't but they just seem to have been able to do that and it was the same on the on the flights as well and just generally around japan i think if you just look at the numbers of tourists also like coming to japan compared to when i was living there 12 years ago and now it's just like triple or something you really there's and there's upcoming off with the olympics the rugby world cup etc but mm-hmm. it's just people just do go more to japan and thus probably japanese have to cater for you know international tourists more than they used to have to and yeah. you know there you go and when it's you're great. one of the two national airlines it's again in your interest to to do that yeah. and they seem to have done that and the signage and, and i couldn't believe it when 
we were sitting in the departure lounge, which is basically there's like two gates for the for the domestic <laughs> Japanese flights in Shizuoka. They did the announcements in in Japanese, and then they did them in English. And I'm looking around, and it's just me and Greg and my niece and Joseph, and that's it. Oh, it didn't wow. feel like it was for our benefit. It was this is what we do because we're an international airline, and I think. I've noticed that in the relatively brief amount of time I've been coming to Japan, that that seems to be the trend, which which is great for uh, for us as visitors. The one thing I think I mentioned in the last episode that is really striking in Japan is the number, the massive number of airports, because it's yeah. almost like a pride thing. Every single councillor was about to say that's an exaggeration, obviously, but it has built its own international airport. The problem is that it led to this situation. We have a lot of airports next to each other or close enough to each other, but no traffic. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's amazing. They all spotlessly clean and they all have good amenities and they all actually open most of the day. It's not as if, you know, they just open for the flight. I'm not sure that economically it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> no, and I think that you have this weird... Um relationship between the the airports and airlines and the shinkansen as well it's sort of this not uneasy in fact i think they're very complementary but it's where do, where does it make most sense for you yeah. to do one and not the and not the other and actually we noticed that with with sapporo is that obviously the shinkansen has not reached from tokyo to to sapporo yet and Soon. for another uh, another yeah. another 10 years at least yeah. but yeah. what will happen because sapporo to haneda is the third busiest air route in the world. Yeah. Nine million yeah. people a year, and that's nearly half of, of the traffic that goes through that airport anyway. That must have been for you a very different site because there were literally flights every five seconds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's and Sapporo is, you know, you pull in and it feels like you're pulling into an international airport. There's, yeah, clearly. There's, there's heavies and wide bodies next to you, but it's not a very big airport. No, it's not. It's just a term, it's, it's an airport built to take very big airplanes because primarily of that route. Because it's one of the few major cities of uh, one of the few uh, designated cities that's not connected to the rest of Japan by the Shinkansen. So, yeah, because it's quite far, guys. If you don't know where yeah. it is, it's the northern, northern bit of Japan. It's the island of Hokkaido, and they just opened the Shinkansen that stops just below basically the island. Yeah. And they need another 10 years, like you say, I think it's 2029, 20, where they're going to open the final bit, which will lead to actually connecting the island completely. But now it's just switched trains, and you have like a pretty fast train if you'd rather do that by train instead of doing that by plane. And also, you have the benefit that on that Shinkansen line, that goes just below uh, Hokkaido, you have the new grand class, which is the super first class of Shinkansen, yeah. which is like absolutely stunning. <laughs> I, yeah, and they, there's so there's the tunnel now, the tunnel bridge that goes from Honshu yep. to Hokkaido, which is wise until the, a, a new one opened in Switzerland, the longest tunnel in the world. It's the longest tunnel that has an undersea component wow. uh, in the world. So you can take the train all the way to Hakodate now, but that last bit, which is not a short distance from Hakodate to Sapporo, <laughs> oh. is going to take them another 10 years. But then you'll be able to get from Tokyo to Sapporo in four hours, whereas yeah. now it takes 12. Yeah. Uh, but then you then you fly. But interestingly, and this is like weird, there's a great train service from New Chitose Airport into Sapporo itself, which takes 37 minutes. It's the the rapid airport service. Except ours, brace yourself, was delayed. <laughs> that never happens. I know. <laughs> delayed by about 45 minutes. Unfortunately, wow. it was because there was an accident at a level crossing. So yeah. no one seemed particularly perturbed, but it's a very good service. It's a Japanese train. Of course, it's a good service. But, um, yeah. <laughs> 
That was that was cool. That's a, it's it's you know there's you never think twice about like, how am I gonna get from the airport into town because it's Japan you know what yeah it's always gonna be yeah and then so did you fly around in Sapporo yeah we did, did. Fly, yeah. we got, we went to to Sapporo Okadama Airport which is which is their London yes, it's city t- yeah it's uh, a tiny airport yeah tiny little airport but but right in town there and it's also home to the to the JDF as well to the Japan Defense Force so they've got a few. I don't know if they have planes there, but they certainly had quite a few helicopters. And some of the JAL and ANA regional services fly in and out of there as well. But we chartered oh. a, a Cessna turbo stationaire, nice. a Cessna 206, which is a lot of fun and flew around that. <laughs> the, the, the the team that did it, uh, Hokkaido Air Service, they were a lot more um, weapons grade than I was expecting because we've flown with some... Very small outfits in the past, but these guys had a full operations room, which was manned by oof, eight or nine people at wow. eight thirty a.m. on a Sunday morning. Wow! And so we flew. That was that was damn good fun. Flew flew around there, got some beautiful views of of that very very unique city because it's a grid system. It's a grid. Yeah, it's like it's it's inspired by because I don't think it was built by Americans. It was built Japanese. by Americans. Maybe you're right, because you actually researched into it. I remember that they asked Americans for consulting on how to build a city. Yes, Indeed. that's, that's yeah. true. So the the prefectural governor at the time approached Ulysses S. Grant. He was president yes. of the U.S. He then apported uh, this Oyato Gaikakajin, which is foreign advisor. Right. Um, and that person was the the secretary for agriculture in the U.S. And he said, what you want to do is use this city block grid system with everything emanating from a large central park, which yeah, obviously which is the sounds park that very you have familiar. next to the tower in the center. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's very striking because it's true that in Japan, you don't have any city like this in terms yeah. of a grid. It's very easy to not getting lost, actually. Yeah. But it's, it's a very uh, striking. Uh, did you have any snow or not yet? No, in fact, it was very late this year because we were there, oh. what, like, uh, oh my goodness, just a, f- a week ago. And yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> people were remarking, it was bloody cold in the evenings and you could feel like the snow is imminent, but no, there wasn't any on the ground, which actually for us made it a little bit easier for obviously yeah, yeah. hiring a small plane, but just getting around generally as well. Yeah, I've been in both seasons. In the summer, I went for onsen in the south of Hokkaido, and of course, I landed at uh, New Chitose as well. well. We'll go at the end of the of the show. But I've been in the winter for the the snow festival, and also did the tourists in you know the all island. I mean, ice breaking ships in the north and stuff. And when it's snowing, it's a totally different experience. You should also go once when it's uh, snowing. You have these because the amount of snow is just staggering. You literally, I, I remember taking the train that crosses within the Hokkaido within the island from Sapporo, and we had on each side of the train a wall of at least five meters of snow. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> just see snow. It's crazy. It's funny when we were looking for places to eat or researching recommendations that the people had given us the google images or the you know when you look on google maps or whatever all of the photos of the of the facades of the restaurants invariably there was two to three feet of snow on either side of them <laughs> exactly anyway and then of course the star wars yeah plane. and <laughs> like you say we'll talk in more detail about new Chitose on the way out of this episode but We'd gone through security and all of that, and we were just grabbing bento boxes to for the flight back. And I'm in the store checking out, and I see Greg frantically waving at me from the from where the the gate was. I'm like, "What the hell is wrong with Greg? 
this is very unbecoming. <laughs> he's making a scene. <laughs> and then he's like, he's pointing out the window. And I see it taxiing by this, the C3PO 777-200. And I was like, oh, my God. As this poor lady who was checking me out was like, what the hell is this guy's problem? <laughs> and then she saw and she sort of le- shook her head and laughed at me like, you know, otaku nerd. Um, <laughs> and it's a beautiful plane. It's it, It's beautifully done. Again, we didn't start boarding until 20 minutes before our departure time. And I was like, we're not going to be on time. And of course... Of course you are. That's Japan. You always board super late, actually. Yeah, uh, It's yeah. so orderly. It's that so it orderly. Works. No one gets up until their group is called. No yes. one. They just yes. sit there patiently. What a flipping treat that is. And also, they, they go directly to their seat. They're super efficient at putting their stuff down. on the overhead bin. And it just goes, you can literally board like a triple seven, like you just did, like in 10 minutes, and it's fine. And it's incredible. It, yeah, it, that's the only word for it. It is completely incredible. I wish every other nation in the world adopted that level of discipline oh, yeah, for boarding airplanes. But no one does. So that's fine. It's a treat to go to Japan and experience Correct. it. Uh, yeah, they. I wondered how much the Star Wars experience would extend. And it actually did. Quite a lot. Like the first thing you notice when you get on board is that all of the headrest covers are are Star Wars themed, which nice. is a nice touch. Nice. Then when they do the the passenger briefings and then they've done the safety announcement, C3PO, R2T2, and BB8 do announcements, first in Japanese <laughs> and then in English. That's awesome. As well, which was a lovely I don't know. Wow, what a, that's great. What a what a great brand extension. Then the flight attendants, when they're doing the meal, the drink services, are all wearing R2-D2 and C-3PO aprons. <laughs> and then finally they come around and they... Oh, yeah. They, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> they, they've got a basket of, of candy, which they hand. I think they do that on every flight, but these Star Wars postcards. But one of them is holding Yoda. Yeah, yeah that's the huge, thing. You can take a selfie with Yoda. That's the best Yoda, thing ever. Yeah. So I took a picture. I said, do you mind if I take a picture of you? And she said, yes, of course. And then she said, now do you mind if I take a picture of you? And handed me Yoda. <laughs> so I got this great picture of me doing Yoda. But I'm so glad I got to experience that because I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. And of course, yeah, as same. obviously. I'm so jealous. Were, were you served any food or not? Uh, they do a drinks run, which is for free. Just for things like coffee, tea, water, juices, and things like that, and there were what looked like very good food to be to be bought if you wanted it, but it was only an hour and a half. Yeah, it's short because I think on international flights, so you have that Yoda thing, which usually sits in the business class cabin on one of the seats. But I tend to remember because these are long flights that the food service has the trays and some of the stuff also Star Wars branded. I'm not fully, at least at the beginning, I don't know if it's still the case because I, I think they're going to run that. I don't know how long the licensing deal is for, but it's it's either. pretty cool. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, did something a little bit more with it. Fun. Were they playing any uh, Star Wars music? Yes, the boarding music was all Star Wars, <laughs> which was it. so great. I mean, how fun. Hey. It was such a good, it was such a neat thing. And of course, awesome. you know, and being on a 777 for such a short flight was was a novelty in and of itself, yeah. but to have yeah. this added element was was great. They're quite high density actually as well. Yes, the business cabin I think is only 5 rows and it's sort of domestic business class. But then, you know, you're dumped out in 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 Haneda in for us it was terminal 2. And interestingly my niece and Joseph were on ANA, so we raced them back to to Haneda and met in the middle where the in Haneda, where the where the train station is connecting the two terminals, so it actually worked out pretty well. <laughs> but man, traveling in d- domestically in Japan is such a joy. Yeah, and you get all these little boarding passes. Like, oh yeah, lots of paperwork. <laughs> I love that. 
<laughs> oh, I can't wait. It'll be next month. I'll probably have to have a, to do a domestic flight as well. Uh, probably not the, the Star Wars one. You can't actually still track them. And I realized, because when you send me, of course, he wanted to make me jealous. He sent me this picture of him with Yoda, and I'm like, oh my god, he's done it. I've tried so many times that I missed. I think the domestic one, so there's four Star Wars planes, look them up, and then you can find the registration numbers. The advantage of the ones in Japan over the ones that run internationally is that they tend to do the same routes on a kind of rotation. So yours would do, let's say, uh, you go to Hokkaido, so New Chitose, back to Haneda, then we'll go to, let's say, just I'm inventing stuff because I don't have it in front of me, but to Fukuoka. This rotation that goes on and on and on doesn't mean that they will stick for it forever because no. they it changes rotation, but you have a better chance at keeping them. It seems that the international ones are switched, obviously, because they want everybody to enjoy. And unless you have an in at ANA, you might not find a pattern. Say, oh, I'm leaving from, let's say, Munich, and I, I want to have the Star Wars planes. And if you find it today, maybe like in two weeks, it's not the case anymore. By the way, if you have a Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Miles, uh, how awesome <laughs> that would be, actually, <laughs> in 12 parsecs. If you have, nice. if you have, if you have ANA uh, Miles, uh, Sky Diamond, I don't remember the name of it. If you are a member, you can call ANA, and you can ask where the international Star Wars planes are, and they will tell you. Ah, uh, I don't useful. think they do if you're not a member of their frequent flyer club. Otherwise, you have if you have a friend who is, uh, just ask her or him, and that's how... When we met in Japan in January 2016, I knew where the flight was uh, going back to Paris, but I missed it by a day. I was like, oh. <laughs> so, anyway, so that's, man, that's so cool. I'm so jealous. You've done the Star Wars plane. Yeah, oh, it was fun. Uh, we had a, at Groot Jacob, uh, Jacob de Groot, who was actually talking about that. So see, Jacob, uh, he's done the Star Wars plane, and I hope that, Jacob, you get to try one one of these days. And everybody else who's tried one, just, you know, eat us up. We'll be very, yeah. uh, I'll be very jealous. Especially if you've done it long haul. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything anything else that you experienced that they don't do on the domestic version? Anything else about uh, your Japanese experience? No, I, I uh, we flew back again oh, yeah. on ANA and out of Haneda. I had to... Do a quick excursion to the observation deck. Uh, I know. <laughs> actually, you know what was funny? Greg sent me a picture while he because he he had to go through special security because he's got a film camera, sixteen millimeter oh, yeah. film camera. So we sort of said, okay, we'll meet in the lounge later. But he sent me a picture which looked just like the check-in desk, but it, there was a guy in full samurai garb checking in a full samurai sword, and the police had to come over and inspect it and all of that. Which was kind of unusual, um, <laughs> but yeah, this is such a great airport, and it's just—it was a long flight home. It was just under thirteen hours um, oh from that. Well, this very famous sign, I think, mentioned it in episode fifteen when we talked about Narita, but probably I've mentioned it countless times on this uh, on this show. There's a very famous sign in Narita when you're about to get into security which is a bad translation of Japanese. And it says, if you're a samurai, don't bring any swords in or something. <laughs> and it's so it's so awesome because the first time you see it, it's like, so almost so cliche, but at the same time, so true. And you're like, what? Yeah. There actually is a sign about samurai and, swords. And clearly it's necessary. <laughs> yeah, I never had actually seen anyone. Wow, that must have been quite a sight. Yeah. Wow. Oh man, every time you go to Japan, you have some, so many stories. And for the rest, guys, we'll 
cover some of the other airports that Alex has done, but for the rest, you'll have to wait for the episodes to be released to know more about what actually happened there. And I'm so disappointed I couldn't join you, but next time. Next I'm time, sure exactly. we'll have a time next year. Uh, talking about a high frequent flyer on ANA, a friend of mine, Rob, just got... <laughs> more than a million miles and they sent him this wow. i'll send you the picture alex this uh, box which is i think it must be simply a luggage tag but the luggage tag is handmade in leather with a very nice sign on it which says a and a million miles something that looks like i don't know it's a logo but it looks like maybe a leonardo da vinci helicopter thing uh, i mean i don't know guys because i've never reached a million miles in a single account i've reached million miles more than that actually on spread out but on a single account so i don't know how other airlines would have would treat me or recognize us if we were to hit that threshold but that's a very nice one yeah really wow lovely my god do you ever put any of these luggage tags that they get you on your actual luggage nope (laughs) (laughs) same i never (laughs) no no i I never have No, I mean, they're nice, and you get the gold ones, and you're like, okay, and so what? Plus, I I mean, I never check in. I try not to. So before we go to other trips, let's do a little news so we pace that show a bit differently. First, uh, look, uh, we tend to avoid talking about bad news in the industry, but uh, we cannot miss this, especially because we've gotten a lot of messages about it. So, of course, we'll talk not too much, but a little bit about that Lion Air crash. And the angle we want to talk is not the angle of what happened exactly. It's the interesting thing. Because we didn't talk about it in the previous episodes, we were much closer to the actual crash. There's so much more backstory now that we are weeks in after this uh, tragedy with sadly everybody died. It was a brand new 737 uh, 8 Max, a really like state of the art latest aircraft. Eight month old. Yeah, eight month old. And of course, let's be honest here, and it's not PC, and please, Indonesian friends, do uh, forgive us for that. But, you know, the first thing is like, oh, Indonesia has such a bad track record of safety, and you're like, oh my God, what have they done? Only that, <laughs> it seems that it's more blurry than that, right? It's yeah. not as clear-cut what could have happened here. No, it's not. And I, it'll be very interesting to see if the focus of the investigation or the focus of the cause is actually what ends up being being the the actual cause of it and there's this of course there's this change in the way the angle of attack is managed by the airplane and the change was between previous iterations of the 737 and this new version and from what i can understand uh, and this is way above my pay grade is same that boeing felt that to the pilots that the change would be unnoticeable because of the way that the computer handled the, the angle of attack that they chose not to to mention it, it yeah to document it or at least uh, say it out loud in any conversion courses that were happening yeah and it turns out that angle of attack was an issue or a contributing factor as we so far know yeah. in in the crash so whether that ends up being it or if it was some other factor and this also just happened to be something that happened in between these iterations of the 737, only time will tell. But it's added a layer of complexity to what is already a very difficult and complicated process, which is finding the root cause of, of a tragedy like this. It seems to be that like the one of the 
speed readings were completely off. So it could have been maybe one of the detectors outside of the plane. But the thing, like you say, is that then the speed readings were off. The pilots were trying to compensate. It was not the first time it had happened on that aircraft. Actually, there were reports of other instances where the, the flight would go up and down and up. And clearly the pilots had tried to kind of figure out what was actually going on. The readings must have been incorrect. And apparently, yeah, maybe maybe because of the reaction of the plane, which is was not the way it used to react, maybe the pilots added to their mistake. That we don't know. But it's interesting that Boeing uh, felt the need to put out a safety warning. And you have now the the, the unions of pilots that are getting pissed. And pissed is actually the word they use. I think uh, especially Southwest, because Southwest relies on 737s. And you have the the president of the Southwest Airlines Pilots Union that say we're pissed that Boeing didn't tell the companies and the pilots about this. And now they even say we need now to make sure that there's nothing else that Boeing tried to hide from us. Yeah, <laughs> not uh, a great uh, relationship. I'm, I'm sure it's a bit of an overreaction uh, to because there's been a crash and people died and that's a tragedy. But it's a uh, it's not what you want to hear from unions. No, and I think there's there's two interesting points there. One is that this is clearly an issue that for them to come out as passionately as they have. They could have said, no, 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 no. I, you know, non-aviation people, you don't understand that this actually isn't a big deal at all. But for them to say, holy shit, this is a big deal is a, an indicator of the magnitude of this of this um, factor. But also to suggest that Boeing hid it, quote unquote, I think is probably a little irresponsible. But again... No, it is. You're right. They don't... I think that's why I'm saying it's an overreaction. You know, it was an emotional reaction to a crash. And yeah. It's actually, the United Union, some of the pilots broke ranks with that type of stance and said, you know what? Airbus aircrafts are known to have way more systems that are hidden. We don't know what they do. And they say Boeing didn't have to tell us because we don't need to know about every single line of code in an aircraft. Mm -hmm. And it's fine that we didn't know. So it's not even like a black and white picture here where like the pilots are against Boeing or something. It's it's just, I think it's the more we em- we embark software, the more we'll have these kind of occurrences where, you know, how much should we tell? It's not to hide stuff from pilots, but I mean, some of the stuff are just there. You yeah. know, I don't need to know that why is my Mac in front of me doing that or X or Y right now? Of course, my Mac won't crash and, you know, kill people. But still, you know, it's uh, there's there's an argument there. And Airbus is known, always has been known to put way more software on their aircraft. And I'm sure that all Airbus pilots don't know every single thing that happened in the background either. Yeah, exactly. And I again, I think perhaps this is going to end up being a factor in a field of factors that that uh, uh, resulted yeah. in this there's there's so it's so rare for there just to be one thing it's just interesting to see that you know the story went from oh well indonesian safety record is not great to like we're now spats between pilots in the us and boeing yeah I, I mean, the only thing that's worth highlighting with the indonesia thing that i think people it caused a few eyebrows to raise was that as you mentioned there had been unusual behavior from this airplane for four flights in a row prior, and it still was flying. Yeah. And I think that and, people uh, have said perhaps that was a poor choice, but again, that's not necessarily the, the cause. It isn't the cause, no. I don't think. No, and, and, and maybe it's the airline because there's been also some – just a day after it happened, there's been at least four different versions online of the repair manifest – and you're like, okay, where any of those doctor that written after the fact to kind of cover you up? Again, we're not here. Yeah. This is pure speculation. But to say that this is the kind of stuff that blurs all the story, and at one point we'll know the actual outcome. And as always, we keep saying that in every show. 
you know, the airline industry is probably the best in the world to learn from its mistakes and, you know, make travel even safer. Absolutely. Since we're in Asia, one more piece of news. Singapore Airlines, their longest flight in the world that everybody keeps talking about. Mm. <laughs> They're filling up the, the business cabin, no problem. It's full all the time. But they're having issues actually filling up the premium economy cabin. And there are two hypotheses. is either uh, people do not understand what actually premium economy is. Mm. Uh, that's one of the... Yeah, as in, you know, what is the value? What do you actually get when you fly premium economy? And the second one is that maybe actually it should be a full business aircraft because at that price point, only businesses, corporates will pay for it. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, very, it's an interesting uh, hypothesis. I hadn't even considered that they wouldn't understand what the premium economy offering is. They're pioneers here, so they're, they're yeah. going to be adjusting and learning as they go on. And it wouldn't surprise me to see that business club cabin expand a little bit. Possible, yeah. Um, and the economy, premium economy cabin shrink a little bit. So the Singapore Airlines premium economy is very, very good, but you know, it's still what 16, 17, 18 hours of flight. God. <laughs> so you could have the best premium economy product in the world, but still you could have the best long. business product in the world. It's still, it's a long time <laughs> yes. to be in one place. Yes. Okay. So talking about business class, my Qatar flights, uh, yeah. look, I've done three legs on the Dreamliner and one leg on the 777. That's a key suite. I'll get that at the end. First, the, the Dreamliner, I think I've mentioned it quite a few times, but it's really a good, good, good business seat. I really like it. I think... Guys, if you've ever flown, let's say, uh, some of the American Airlines uh, 777, I think the 200, and their Dreamliners, it's probably the same seat. It's a reverse herringbone type of uh, seat. It's not the one you find on other, maybe the, again, American Airlines 300ER or Air France or Cathay, which I think that's a Zodiac seat. It's, they look yeah. the same. They also they have both a reverse herringbone type of uh, layout. But it, it's a very good seat for someone tall as me. It's 95% perfect. You know, I just touched the end, but it's, it's really, I mean, it's a breeze. The, the, the Dreamliner is such a great aircraft to travel for eight hours in. It just works no matter the flimsiness of the air vents. At least they are air vents. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> They don't lock any of the windows. You do whatever you want with the dimming. Of course, you know, at night, they would rather you not open them, and that actually worked quite well. Uh, and, you know, died on demand when you are in business class. Uh, there's no first class, guys, first, of course, but died on demand. So you choose your time to eat. They give you a pajama. Who gives you pajamas in business class? Yeah, so, and how many, how many seats did you say there were? So I counted twenty-two. Okay, so it's not an it's not something like a an Emirates. And even even on A and A, I couldn't get over how many business class seats there were. Yeah, because it was triple seven, right? It was a huge one, right? It was yeah, huge, but not that huge for you know versus twenty-two seats. By the way, little trivia here: the seat A and A seat on the business one on triple seven, you know that seat is actually the same seat than Emirates on their three eighty. Wow! And you can see how. The customization makes yeah, them look yeah. like completely different. Structurally, you can absolutely see it. Yeah, it's they are actually the same seat, which is staggering. Yeah, they're very <laughs> different experiences. <laughs> yes. So yeah, really, like Qatar Airways, I love, I love the the crew because okay, they're young, so they're not going to be as good room readers, cabin readers, like we say, like how to read the room as a cafe or as a Singapore, but they're super willing, and that's really what makes it super endearing because they will try their hardest no matter what. You know, they were like coming. I said, I want to eat very early and they were clearly you know preparing the cabin for takeoff 
off. So I said, but don't worry, you can take my order after takeoff. And he said, yeah, but I'll try to come before we take off. And I'm like, no, not necessary. He came back and he took my order before we take off. We were actually taxiing and he took my order. He <laughs> wanted to do, you know, like, that's the thing. They really want to make their best. And that's something that shows. And that's no matter how, you know, better can be a Singapore. And again, Singapore also very good. But the simple fact that they're trying so hard makes it enduring. You cannot not like it. What, I mean, um, it's, if you don't, if, it's a delicate question, but what nationality predominantly were the were the counter? I'm always fascinated by that on the Middle Eastern airlines. There was a mix. It's always a mix, actually. But this one, I think there was one from Serbia, one from Romania, one from Japan. It's pretty amazing. One from Malaysia. Uh, if I remember correctly, on the other trip there was one from Bulgaria. So it's a really big mix. It's always a. That's cool. Uh, it's always a mix. Yeah, uh, an Indian. Yeah, there was an Indian. I remember an, an, an Indian woman as well. So it's 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 a big mix. They tend to be younger, even younger than Emirates, probably because the airline is a bit younger as well. They all very nice, to be honest with you. It's it's. I make them comfortable, you know, I say because of my last name. Oh, they call me Paul. They keep wanting to call yeah, me Mr. Yeah. Paul. And I'm like, no, don't call me Mr. Paul. Just call me Paul. It's fine. <laughs> but you can create a rapport and it works well. They have the food is honestly fantastic. The, they have, which I also appreciate, they, they allow you to choose between rosé or a brute champagne, which, and I like rosé, so it's really nice. It's, you actually actually have the choice. Right. No, they are really, honestly... They are really cool. And it, all these trips with the Dreamliner Dreamer is great. I mean, you know that. For seven, eight hours, the seat is super comfortable. I slept super well. It's absolutely fantastic. The IFE is, let's say, the content is really good. It's a very strange IFE because the screen is touchscreen, but not touchscreen. So depending on where you are in the layout of your choices, sometimes you can touch the screen and sometimes mm-hmm. you can't. That's interesting. Which doesn't make, yeah, so you, ha- you have to use a remote and the remote is like not as uh, good as an iPad or like iPhone. So meaning sometimes you kind of struggle a little bit. So it's, it's a, let's say it's 80-20. It's, for instance, when you arrive, that's very striking. You arrive, you sit in the aircraft and you know, usually they have these kind of holding slides and yeah. say your, your seat number. You try to press the, the screen it doesn't do anything so you start with a remote but when you're in movie mode and you're actually watching a movie you can't press the screen to press pause so i don't know why they made that kind of decision doesn't make a lot of sense to me but it's weird. okay yeah it's very weird it's okay but it's not as good as the latest emirates as a turkish as a cafe the latest one of the 350 so it's it's a good one but it, it could be done better the uh wi-fi there was wi-fi similar than you it's it's funny because it was not capped in terms of megabyte but they would say fair policy fair usage policy for maybe the mid-tier was i think 100 mb and uh, the ultimate package was 200 the ultimate uh, package <laughs> whatever, 20, 20 bucks for the duration of the flight, 200. I don't think I've ever reached 200. And I was, you know, I was just a little bit of emails and a little bit of social media. That was it. And then I put it on pause. And so it's fine. Honestly, having Wi-Fi in the middle of anywhere, it's pretty, pretty. Yeah, still it's pretty a, it's exactly. <laughs> I mean, at the, end, at the end of the day, some very clever storage. There's a storage on your side uh, under the seat in front of you when you can basically hide your shoes. It's really cool. They get the, the pajamas I mentioned are made by the white company, same company that does uh, the bedding on BA. BA. So there's something there, right? The amenity kits, the amenity kits are 
Okay, but I find nowadays that the many kids are kind of restricting what they put in there, and I don't find them very useful anymore, actually. No, I agree. Uh, <laughs> Emirates still way ahead. You know, they had, for instance, if you wanted to use um, a toothbrush, which I wanted to, for instance, because I literally uh, should have mentioned that from the start, I traveled to Doha and Malaysia only with my backpack. So I had very limited supplies on me. The one downside is I couldn't hold, take all the pajamas back with me because there was no way. <laughs> That's, but, uh, but meaning I was counting on having some of the amenities to supply from stuff, you know, instead yes. of buying everything at, at, at Gatwick, where I left from. And I mean, you had, you know, the toiletries were available in the lavatories, but they were not in the actual amenity kit, which again, I'm fine with, but then I see the what's remaining in the amenity kit is almost like, okay, you have the socks and you have the eye mask and you have a hand cream and you have some kind of water spray, you know, that can refresh yourself and and earplugs, and that's it, which is great. But then I'm I'm starting to say, why don't you just give everything on demand? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. we like amenity kits; it's nice to have them. But I'm wondering, to be frank, if if they are necessary. A and A are good. They they stock the restrooms in business class with yeah. all those same. things that you can just grab, hairbrush, yeah, uh, you know, all of the the bits and pieces that you mentioned, toothbrush and all that stuff. So, and the theirs is um, oh, I can't remember who provides it. Uh, Crabtree and Evelyn, they're pretty sparse. I mean, they're lovely bags, but there's nothing. But you can augment it, as you say, if necessary. Yeah. But then every hotel in Japan gives you, you know, all that stuff too. <laughs> no, but Qatar always has that also in the lavatories. There are two lavatories for 22 people. It's, it's the, they are just Google it up, Google seat map on Seat Guru, for instance. It's very strange because you have the 20 seats like on one, two, one, which is fine. And then you have these two weird seats that are in between the two lavatories. And I don't know why would you, I mean, unless there's no other option, why would, would yeah, you that choose them? But the uh, I mean, and I had seat. actually on the, one of the legs, the leg from Penang to Doha, the cabin was, man, it was empty. So I, I just told you 22 seats were six in the cabin. Wow. Right? And we were four of us in, you know, these 20 seats. And then I realized that at first I thought we were only four. Then I realized that a couple I snuck into these kind of two seats. To be fair, the, the doors of the lavatories don't open up on the seats. They open up in the front. So basically, you're very private, actually. You're That's almost nice. hidden from everybody else, right? So it's, uh, it kind of works. But I mean, anyway, very nice cabin, you know, also modern. Everything worked very well. And again, having pajamas, dining on demand whenever you want on business class. Emirates doesn't do that, guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like everything works. I, I still brought, although I only had a backpack, my own headphones. And that's the thing. They noticed that, you know, you, you arrive, they start talking to you and they notice and say, oh, you're using your own headphones. So they, they are paying attention to what you're doing. So they Because they were trying to explain the seat and when they were explaining me where the headphones were, she had seen I had my headphones laying around. So, so, so you won't be needing those. So they, they pay attention. They're not only robotic and like going to a script of how the seat works, for instance. Right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I like that. They're very well trained. I do. I mean, yeah, you, you've impressive. never you never flown Qatar, right? Which is strange for you because you won well. Yeah, I haven't found a fare compelling enough for me to ditch going direct. And, and the only way I would be doing it is east when you've got... Cathay for Southeast Asia and yeah, Jiao yeah, yeah, for yeah, Northern yeah. Asia. So I haven't found a, a reason quite compelling enough. But, you know, s soon I'm sure I will. 
and then Doha will cover it as, as an airport, but I want to give you one trick because it's a great airport. They've now installed the trains. You have these like science fiction spaceship look like trains that run between the concourses. They're super quiet and super fast. It's honestly stunning. It's a stunning airport. It's very famous overseas for that teddy bear that sits in the middle, that yellow teddy bear that a lot of people find creepy. But you know what? Creepy or not, it has become an icon. Yeah. So everybody takes a picture of it. Everybody takes a selfie in front of that thing. Right? So it's like, uh, it, it, it has worked. I'll leave that to, to Hamad International, which is the name of the airport. So the one trick I want to give you, I had like these extended layovers for 17 hours. And I only needed to actually be in Doha on the Monday, but not on the way there. But I said, I want to see Doha. And it was Friday, which for them is Sunday. So I said, I want to go out, which you can, obviously, especially uh, you can not only ask for a, a 72 hours, I think, visa very easily, but people like us, we don't even require a visa. The only thing is that, I wanted to leave my uh, backpack in the lounge and then go out. I didn't want to have my backpack during the day because it's going to be hot. It's going to be 30 plus Celsius. And not that you're not supposed to do that, but it's not marked because you either have to go to arrivals or you go to transfers. So I go to transfer. I go to the lounge, which is this Almohan, this fantastic lounge. I put the stuff as our lockers. And then it's not marked, but I'll tell you the trick if you ever have guys have to do that. You don't go down back with the escalators. You take the elevator, and the elevator can stop you at security. The transfer security I just mentioned when you enter to transfers. And when you reach that, you go against the flow. But you have to find like a, someone who's going to allow you to do that. Mm. And yeah, I went there and I saw, I saw some security guys say, can I go the other way? And they're like, look at me, what? <laughs> you go against the flow and then you throw back before that choice of making transfers or arrival. And then you do a left, another left, and you're in arrivals. And it works. They will allow you because they will understand that you what you want to do is go to visit Doha and you were actually on a long layover. But it's it's funny that it's not made for it. There's not like a passage is not marked anywhere it's not written what you can do you have to kind of figure it out so second floor transfer security and go against the flow they are very nice at security they will let you do it so just obviously don't choose a security which is backed up choose somewhere where there's no one and they will let you do it they will actually let you do there it there you it's go cool <laughs> that is cool and of course then i i went out of the so immigration that's also super fast and the guy was like you only have a camera? Because, you know, I didn't have anything on me. I just was in a T-shirt and going to Doha. He was, he didn't understand. Did I just travel all this time with just a camera and no bags? And it was like, yeah. It's strange because it is it is a layover place. I mean, so if, if yeah, but, you can't have been the first person to go no, uh, seven I mean, or eight hours really. between your flights. So I'm surprised that he was surprised. But I think it's because I had left my backpack in the lounge instead of going out with it. So he was expecting even uh, people to lay over have to have a little bit of stuff. Yeah, with, yeah. You know, I was. <laughs> I, it's like as if I was walking the street, like in London. You know, there's a, I mean, it, they, they were all very fine with it. And again, I'm not going to go more on this because I think well, I'll cover um, Hamad in one of our further episodes, including the hotel, the international hotel, which is within the terminal, which is very good. Again, that in the next episode, because I know what you all wanted now waiting for is the Q-suites. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's, I, I waited on, on purpose. You know, I had a meeting and then I waited on purpose. I could have taken an earlier flight and I waited on purpose, which, by the way, sorry to be not chronological. When I was boarding, when I was checking in, sorry, my first flight at Gatwick, where I started my journey, I couldn't, for some reason, get the mobile pass. So I had to go to the check-in counter. 
And I remember the face of the guy not understanding why I would wait for so long to catch a plane in Doha to go back to London because he was seeing my itinerary. And he starts pressing on the keys. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, but maybe I can find you an earlier flight. Like, no, 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 no. Don't yeah. find me an earlier flight. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> Don't touch anything. That's, there's yeah. a reason I'm staying. I, I didn't say the reason was a Q-suite, but I said, there's a reason I'm staying. Do not do it. <laughs> he was like, oh, I just wanted to help. Yeah, of course. He was kind. And I think he literally thought that my itinerary was badly made and somebody had made a mistake. And I was like, no, no, no. There's a specific QR5 that's an, that's the identification of that route that I wanted because of the Q-suite. How did you anyway. find out that this Q-suite was available on that route? That's very good from Qatar Airways. You go on their website and they tell you every single route which has a Q-suite. They no, even no, no, give no, you nice. the, they say QR4, QR5. They give, they give every city and even the route. That's so cool. That it's is open. cool. Wow. Yeah, instead of us having to do like AV geeks and going around and fiddling with yeah, fire radar. and Exactly. No, that's what I actually, kind of assumed you did. No, yeah, but that's so cool. They tell you. So the seats, yeah. First in business, that's how they sold it. Is it amazing? Yes, it is amazing. Yeah, it's a very, 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 very good uh, business seat. It has its own door. Guys, just take a look at pictures online. It gives an a very strange feeling on the 777 that the ALs are very narrow because I think they wanted to put as much room as they could to the seat itself. So that creates a feeling of having these two ALs a bit narrower than usual. Also because, you know, of course, you have the door and the wall. In, uh, so that creates a little bit, which is fine because at the end of the day, you don't spend time in the ALs anyway. <laughs> but it is an interesting feeling. You don't usually have that feeling of smugness in the ale of a wide-body aircraft, which you do, at least on a 777. I know that now they are going to install the Q-suite on other of the aircraft. But on 777, that's the case. The seat I've chosen one, which is in reverse, you know, each each one goes frontwards, backwards, frontwards. And if you want to have a window seat, you have to choose one that is in a reverse position. Yeah. Some people Much don't like, like it. And like, because that's important, Etihad. Mm. If you ever fly, and we'll talk about that in the next episode, if you've ever flown the studio from Etihad, so that's what I've flown to Australia, what Alex will fly later this week, what I will also fly uh, again uh, sometime soon, and I flew to Karachi two weeks ago. Actually, it seems to me that the two seats are exactly the same. The only difference is that the Q-suite from Qatar has a door, and it's probably slightly larger, but the layout you will experience on Etihad Studio, Alex, will be a very similar feeling that the one you have on Q Suite. So well, that's interesting. You, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why we'll talk about more about the studio in the next episode, but it's it's interesting. Other than that, you know, having a door is pretty cool. It's very, very private. Even with a door open, because the door is narrow as well, you feel you're alone. The whole throughout the flight, if I didn't have any interaction or didn't want to have interaction with the flight attendants, you could press a button, do not disturb, and they won't disturb you. You are alone. You don't hear and you don't see wow. any other passenger ever. Not even their head because the, the walls are so high that when you are, especially when you're a bit lying back, you know, like in a lounge mode if you want, you don't see anything. So when, you're alone. When they come to you for, for service or to ask you a question, do they knock or do they, what do they do? <laughs> I had left my door open at the start. So that's what they did. But at some point, I didn't sleep. It was a day flight. At some point, I just wanted to be left alone for a little bit. And I put a DND, do not disturb. Nobody ever came. Wow. Yeah. Much like Emirates First Class, where 
they can sort of see over and and get your attention if they want to ask you something but will generally you feel very I'm I'm fascinated to try these one day and again as you say you know the Etihad seat may be structurally similar but doesn't yeah, have that level of yeah, privacy. Yeah, there are differences. I mean they are for instance on the Etihad one you have these fancy panel you'll see we'll talk about it in the next episode. The Q suite relies more on actual physical buttons, which, to be frank, I prefer usually actually yeah. because they, they tend to fail less and they actually yeah. are uh, available right there. For instance, sometimes even on Emirates, when they put everything on their panel, I'm like, I just want to move my seat. I don't want to press five menu buttons yeah, exactly. to move my seat. You know, I'd rather have just a little button next to me. And really, the layout was it was really well thought out. The coloring is very well thought out. It's very subdued with a lot of course of mauve, the color of Qatar Airways. They have this thing that is really fun. They had uh, discussions, pillows, additional. So you have the usual uh, pillow, the one you're going to sleep on, but you have an additional pillow, which is more for decor. And mine said, what did mine say again? Um, this is my happy place. Uh, <laughs> cool. And it was laying down there. And there's a, in another cabin, a spotted one, it said something like... Uh, being in the sky is such a nice experience, or something like that. It, it, it's quirky, it's little things, but it made this whole thing work in terms of if you remove simply the quality of the seat, it just works very well. The IFE, it's the most responsive IFE I ever wow. dealt with. So compared to what I just mentioned about the ones in the Dreamliner, it's probably even different provider. It's just snappy. You press something happens. It's super cool. It's like an iPad. Everything moves super rapidly. It's really, really amazingly done. Honestly, that's that's the future of IFEs. The Cathay one on the 350 is as speedy, I would say. That's the quality. It's really, really fantastic. The food, man. Interestingly, you know, they give you the menu that they give you all my flights. And on that, they gave me an additional menu. So it was like a snack platter. I could have like king prawns, cocktail, crostini, crudite of carrot, concumber, and asparagus, duck spring rolls. I tried these. They were very good. A mini chicken shawarma with garlic tahina. I tried those at the end. They were also very good. <laughs> Blue cheese croquettes with pear chutney. I mean, and, and chocolates and stuff. And this is on top of the menu, which is already looks amazing. And I don't know if it's because it's a Q suite or it, was it because it's a total day flight? Interesting. I didn't understand why. And you could order those at any point. Yes, everything. Wow. You know, that's the thing. When you think about most of these experiences, you will have them in first class in other airlines. This is, you know, this is really a good deal. You're flying in yeah. business class and you have a first class experience in some respects, the dining on demand, the additional food, the the, the door. I mean, I, yeah, it, it is a great. And, oh, yeah, again, for other tall people, when I do a full life flat, I wasn't touching the end, almost not touching the end. So it's very large. Oh. I think compare that to the Etihad one, I think, again, similar type of layout. The Etihad seemed more snug and also less long. This one is a lot of width, which is probably why, again, the ale themselves are very narrow and lots of pitch. I mean, I was almost not touching the end of it when full life flat. I didn't sleep, but I tried and it's, yeah, man, it's fantastic. There's even, oh yeah, I don't know why they do that. I even had to ask Kelvin, he was called great guy, the guy was was uh, taking care of me. There's a panel, you see like like we do here in the UK, but you see that now pretty much anywhere, the contactless sign that you put, yeah. you, send, you just tap and go. There was a panel like that on the freaking panel where all the buttons were. Like, why would you have a panel? I said, yeah, it's done like you could theoretically he said theoretically because I don't think it works yet you could touch your phone and the content of which would be transmitted to the screen in front wow. of you <laughs> I don't know if it's useful but yeah 
There you go. Wow. Uh, How yeah. cool is that? Yeah. And the crew was fantastic. Had a, also a Filipina crew. She saw my Leica camera and she was like, oh, and she was talking about photography for the entire flight. It was great because I had these interactions because I didn't want to sleep. So I didn't stay only watching IFE. I was talking to the crew. Again, super young, super willing, different countries. Again, very, very cool. I, I Man, yeah. It is one of the best experiences in business class. Is it my favorite business class seat? I still think that I prefer the one from Cathay because I'm tall. But yeah, it is. I mean, I felt alone, completely alone. Yeah, that's and nice. If, if that's your kind of thing, you don't want to be talking to anyone. It's the center. I didn't see it in action, but you can, of course, regroup not only two seats, but four together. So you could be you and oh, your two yes, kids. Oh, yes, I remember seeing the pictures of that. You could actually create a big table in the middle, eat together and talk to each other, and then regroup in two different other configurations and just be with your wife and your kids with the other side with a wall back up. Uh, I don't know if people actually do that, <laughs> to be mm, frank. I would doubt it. But the fact that it does exist is pretty cool. But even without all these fancy stuff, the simple seat is, I understand why people rave about it. It is a great product, and Qatar has a great product. Now, every single flight I took, it didn't seem that the cabin was full. Are they suffering because of the blockade, or are they simply overextending themselves? I don't know. But I hope in terms of at least for a pure customer experience that they stick around because they're giving a lot of the other airlines to run for their money. Yeah, and I, I, I fear that it's the blockade. Although that said, my flights to and from Japan weren't exactly full in any of the cabins. So perhaps it's just time of year or if we're looking at a broader economic downturn, as you, as you say. Yeah, I don't know. My deal was a very good promo fare. So does that explain? Are they trying to... This is why you should look into that right now, Alex. And guys, if you're listening and if you want to try Qatar, they seem to be doing a lot of promo fairs these days. So maybe that's a shot for you to Was try. it very easy to find? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a totally official promo fair. I was even able to get it from the QatarAirways.com wow. website. This is where I actually bought it. Wow. And okay. It says super promo, no cancellation, and pretty hefty rebooking. So you have to be sure about your dates. Mm-hmm. But it's worth it. It was really literally compared to any, anything else is super cheap. I don't remember the price now, but it was super cheap. Even though it was paid for by, by a client, it was worth actually doing. So yeah. And yeah, I'm very happy to have done it. And the crew was fantastic. Kelvin, I forgot the name of the other one. I was trying to look at my notes if I have her name, but I don't think I have it sadly because there was another person that was, uh, that was fantastic too. But anyway, great. Probably one of the best flights this year. Wow. There you go. Well, I'm very envious, and I can't wait to try that. I, I, you're, you're right to say that I, ha- I, you know, it's weird that I haven't done Qatar Airways yet, given my one-world allegiance. So I really need yeah, to because fix it's that. an easy way for you to get points anyway. It's not as if you're making like this conscious decision yeah, to go somewhere else exactly. and not having a tier point. Because Etihad for me is where are you putting your Etihad points? Next? Um, uh, I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, I could put them toward. I think Virgin maybe, but I haven't flown on Virgin in a long time. I actually need to think about that. I put them on Etihad, and I've already reached silver so if i do a one more flight in business class i'm probably gonna get gold but what does that actually give me because i'm not planning to fly them i don't know but you know i, don't, I didn't know what to do with them to be honest yeah. last time i think i let them lapse or maybe i bought a i bought something on their store like some battery pack maybe yeah yeah <laughs> not a great use of miles but well i, I really wish they were member of an alliance me which too. by the way I, I learned that emirates in 2000 were about to enter was it star or one world oh wow can you imagine and then they and then they said decided not to but imagine how different the world would be jeez wow. they probably would not be nearly as good as they were 
are now. Maybe not. As it were. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one last trick, since we also landed a T4, and you're going to be doing that, Alex, when you come back with uh, probably a Etihad as well, because they also are a T4. For people like uh, us that have EU passports, EU-compatible passports, when you go back and, you know, before you reach out these e-gates, because of the old layout of T4 and the odd layout of T4, suddenly it divides in two and says, here, you go non-EU and you continue straight and you, you go EU. Actually, they both lead to the same place. Go within non-EU because you get faster to where you're supposed to be. I'm, I'm guessing that when the airport is full and there are lines, yeah, then go for the EU because oh. you're just going to go faster. But when the airport is empty, I did walk three more minutes going around some strange layout to be thrown out exactly where I would have been if I had followed the uh, non-EU line, which is, so it's a trick. I mean, I, I'm again, I'm sure they're doing on purpose when there are lines, but when there are no lines, everything leads exactly the same place. So go with the fastest one, no matter which passport you have. Trust me. That is a good pro tip. <laughs> For you uh, next week. Yeah. I also hope that Qatar doesn't leave one world because then... They've been will... threatening to. Yeah, I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Actually, uh, Al Baker announced that he wants to invest in other U.S. airlines. <laughs> he loves to pick a fight, doesn't he? <laughs> exactly. By the way, I, I've read a, a lot of online a lot of people that are kind of willing that qatar airways leaves uh, one world and these people are not executives at the big airlines in the u.s they are freaking flyers that are so entitled that they think that it's too easy to get miles from qatar and that they should and i'm like guys you know if you get your status by you know, getting 25 credit cards and getting ranking miles, and then you are saying that Qatar Airways, I mean, your opinion is invalid. Is yeah, is absolutely. Valid. I mean, what, what's that entitlement? You, you guys are literally getting freaking flyer miles out of For doing that. scam. Yeah. yeah. And then you are judging the other. I'm like, come on. I mean, I literally read someone that says, yeah, because uh, lounges are becoming too full because of all these people that are getting their armas through Qatar promotion fares. I'm like, and? I mean, yeah. you're getting your you're getting- by, by buying like stupid credit cards and vouchers and stuff. I mean, c- crying out loud. No, I agree completely. Anyway, um, there was a rumor that Cathay wanted to leave one well, though. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I, I think it was. Do you think be- it's true? Uh, I, I doubt it, but who knows what Cathay's going to do. In the next in the next few years, I think it would be silly. There's movements. There's a lot of people that say maybe these alliances should disappear, but I surely do not hope so because I'd like to continue being able to. Well, exactly to to take value from it in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. Are you flying Cathay anytime soon? No, I done okay. nothing on the books. Yeah, maybe next February for me. I hope so. I haven't flown them in a while, actually. Really would love to. Um, Emirates has a new tagline. It's no more "Hello tomorrow." It's now "Fly better." <laughs> Is it really? What do you think? better. You know what? I'm a big fan of the word better. And one or two people who may listen to this will know why. But I think it's a great word. I think it's a very powerful word. I think it's aspirational. I think it's infinite. Because no matter what you're used to, you can always do something better. Better. Oh, that I agree. I was fond of Hello Tomorrow. But probably I was simply I was used to it. It's been their tagline for so long. Now I'm really wondering, I haven't checked actually, will they also change their tune, their very famous little song 
that I love. Uh, so maybe they will because I don't know. Actually, one of my Uber drivers the other day had that as set as his ringtone, the Emirates song. That's funny, isn't it? <laughs> so, so that's so well known. And I immediately recognize this. Emirates is, oh, you know it? Like, of course you know it. And he goes like he rants for 10 minutes about how Emirates is the best airline in the world. In London, I was like, oh, well, you know, they have fans. Nice. Yeah. They actually have fans. Uh, look, a few reviews before we move on. First on Facebook, uh, JP Fountain. Always a fun chat, fantastic to listen to in the car. Leaves me uh, dreaming up my next destination. Thank you. And on iTunes from Sebastian MUC from Munich, clearly, because he actually (laughs) sends us that from Munich. Best aviation podcast I know. It gives you a broad and in-depth insight into the coolest industry there is. We agree. It's the coolest industry there is. He's employed in air cargo. Oh, cool. I'm fascinated by air cargo. Exactly. That's exactly my point. We should maybe have someone like you at some point because it's something I don't know nothing about myself. Yeah, agreed. Zero, zero, zero about. Back to the UK. Have you ever fly fly B? Yes, I have. Apparently, they're going out of business. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> I love how we went from this very enthusiastic answer to oh that's disappointing I, I again anybody who can put pressure on BA you know in a positive yeah. way is good but they've been struggling for a long time I didn't know that that's very disappointing to hear it was like maybe a week ago that was I missed that, that. Was, yeah uh, they, still, they are, still overseas they're trying to sell themselves to, to, find, a, to find a buyer so they haven't, they're not grounded or anything, but they, they really have issues. It's it's too bad. And when you think about it, it's Primera Air, that's Cobalt, that the Ryanair profits are down, et cetera, that's Alitalia. I mean, it's it's not always roses, this industry. It might be no, the best really ever, Sebastian, but it's not sometimes, it's not always roses. Uh, but Iceland Air has uh, just acquired, wow. Wow, yeah. They said they'll maintain it as a separate brand. You said, was it not planned from the start? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did say that. <laughs> as the conspiracy, conspiracy theorist in me. I've never flown on either of those airlines, so I don't know if uh, if either camp is losing out by this uh, integration, or non-integration as they claim it will be. And uh, the UK, since we're on there for T4, but for all the terminals in all the airports, the UK will open its e-gates to citizens of the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. Fantastic. This is yeah, good. That's... I mean, it doesn't affect me. Unless I'm coming in on my my U.S. passport because the Russian embassy has got my my U.K. passport, but this is a good thing. It it maybe not a good thing for you and me who like to use those gates relatively queue free, but I think uh, for those of you that have had to queue in a in a non EU line at especially during busy periods at any UK airport, this will be very welcome news. And hoping putting a little bit of pressure on border force to keep them all open. Mm. Sometimes they're like five open out of 20. And like, why? Yeah. <laughs> Annoying. <laughs> Again, Taylor Moore, T Moore 4000 on Twitter, sent us a picture from LAX. It was flying to Heathrow, actually, and it's American that was advertising better boarding has arrived, basically advertising facial recognition boarding. So you your photo will be taken during boarding, no need to present your boarding pass, then your photo will automatically be compared to the passport records, and once confirmed, you can board the plane and enjoy your flight. So yeah. pure facial recognition automated uh, boarding. I think we're going there. We are. I think more and more people are doing JetBlue, do it at JFK now. I think it's, uh, yeah. It's a it's a it's a positive move, and I think they'll always err on the side of caution. So if they can't get a a match they're comfortable with, then they'll just a human will intervene, as it were. 
They're trialing it in uh, in London. I know that already Heathrow has facial recognition. It's on, but it's you still have to show stuff. But you have cameras now actually taking pictures of you when you have these new gates. Emirates as well is trying that in uh, Dubai. You can also do that at DXB. If you're going to be at Dubai soon, when are you going? I know you're, you're not going to Astana anymore. I am in, in January, though. Okay, okay, so that's pushed back. So you'll be able to try, probably if you still fly Emirates, you can be able to try that at Dubai, also having facial recognition. Uh, my experience at, at, at Doha was, was fun. They have these super fancy machines. They look like from the 22nd century, and they... <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's a camera that takes a picture of you, right? It's not, but they, they just like, you know, they put it like in such a fancy decor around yeah. it. And you're like, oh, I mean, I mean, it's a science fiction movie. I'm like in, what's the movie with, um, with Tom Cruise that's set in the future? Um, oh, uh, Minority, Minority Report. Report. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. Only that, because I'm so tall, <laughs> the camera kind of scans you, you know, from bottom to top or something. And but when you reach the top, me, it literally reached the top, top of the frame and then crashed down because he'd like he'd way too high and something, maybe the support wasn't there. Something didn't work. The camera crashed because of me. And I felt like a stupid in front of the immigration guy would say, oops, it's my fault. Or the guy laughed after it. But anyway, so. and, and uh, Europe is trialing something at actually an Athens airport. God knows why. You'll have now an AI talking to you. So that's a trial. You'll have like some kind of, I guess, humanoid talking back to you, answering the question. That's, oh my, what the? You know, all these things, they do it because it sounds fancy. And why don't you put your money into stuff that actually matters in airports? Like not having, I don't need an AI. Which, by the way, reminds me of the movie, you know... 2001, right? Because open the doors. Yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> open the doors. No. Exactly. <laughs> Alex, you're not allowed into the country. <laughs> yeah, but I am a citizen. You're not recognized yeah. by the AI. Oh, my yeah. God. Prepare for termination. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you did your episode on the Everliner. Do you like the, the Dash 8 Q400? Yeah, I do like the Dash 8. I don't get to fly it as often as I would like, but I, I do like it. It was just acquired by Viking Air. Yeah, I saw that. And I guess it's kind of really the end of Bombardier as uh, an actual yeah. aircraft producer for commercial aircraft anyway. I'm not a big fan of the Q4. It's, they call it the quiet one, <laughs> even with the best uh, yeah. n- noise-canceling headphones. It's still not quiet. I like that, though. I no, kinda... I, I get it. No, from time to time, it's... Uh... You know what we should do? We should do a tour of the whiskey region in Scotland and you have these flights for like yes, seven minutes to cross aisles and aisles and they're that. all like these super noisy aircraft and this is absolutely fantastic and when it's bad weather then it moves all around if you don't like flying guys don't fly those because they're really uh, not the most comfortable but this no. is really so much fun and last if you want to fly for free you should do what this American airline baggage handler did he fell asleep on the job Oh, uh, no. Ined the cargo and ended up flying from Kansas City to Chicago in the belly of a 737. Oh, he's very lucky, isn't he? I was thinking. And also, it. how Don't... did he fall asleep? Like so, uh, He was drunk. Okay. Was he really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> he, had, he admitted it. Oh, but I mean, dear. isn't that super cold? Th- that's what I was wondering about is he must have been in one of the climate controlled compartments. Otherwise, he'd be dead. Captain, we have a cat. That's not a cat. It's too big. It's yeah. a big cat. Jeez. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, so this is now how you flew, like we heard earlier, to Japan and back. Uh, at least I hope so. Um, in the hold one day. <laughs> what? Did you, did you actually want to do that? Yeah, I think it would be very interesting. 
<laughs> well, I, on a, so maybe on a cargo plane. I'd love to do that. Okay, the cargo plane, yes, and the climate controlled, yes, but not drunk next to random piece of luggages. No. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, so new Chitose. How did you feel about it? It's not a physically. It's not a huge airport at all. But it, because of the way it's got this wonderful arc shape, so the terminal is this oh, yeah, per- permanent it, yeah. curve. It's beautiful. It only does about 19 million, 20 million passengers a year, which is not to be sneezed at. But compared to the, the busier airports in the world, it's it's not that it's not that big. But it you know it it serves in terms of international predominantly, almost exclusively Asia. There's a yeah. Hawaiian Airlines flight to Honolulu. There's a couple of flights to Russia, and then the rest of it is either Japan or Southeast Asia. But it's it's a very nice airport. The terminal is multi-storied, so it's a very sensible layout where you've got you know check-in on one level and then the gates, and then there's a huge food court. There's an onsen in the airport, a <laughs> thermal spring, thermal baths. <laughs> That's amazing. Fantastic. Fortunately, I didn't have time to, to do it. Ah, uh, too bad. But we did we did walk past it, and and it's in a very rural area. So you, yeah. it's about like I said earlier, it's about forty minutes south of the city, and then very close to the coast. So you you take off, and then it's just it's just rural farmlands as far as the eye can see. But it does have – it's got a domestic terminal. It's got an international terminal. And it's all of the amenities you could do. Amazing food court with everything you could possibly want. And for domestic, you've got the ANA section and the JAL section. And they each have their own security. And you cannot go through oh. if you're on on the other's, other's ticket. It seems something that is very often the case in Japan. You have your ANA bit and your JAL bit. Yeah. I mean, even, I, I did I that, you even have your terminal, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Entire terminals dedicated to each other. Which is fine, I guess. No, of course. Yeah, you know, of course. You're gonna, everybody there is going to be able to help you uh, in one form or another. As I mentioned earlier, it's very easy to get into town. Taxis are really, really expensive, so avoid that. But you've got this yeah. wonderful train service that you can use. You can just use your Suico or Pasmo or whatever you have or just buy a ticket and you're there in, in 37 minutes right in the heart of, of Sapporo at the big station there, the JR station there. So, yeah, it's it's really good. And what's cool is that Chitose Air, Air Force Base is there as well which is part of the Japan Air Self-Defense Force, which has got yeah, F-15s. Yeah. yeah, because I think I think at the beginning, before New Chitose, hence the name New Chitose, at the beginning they were sharing facilities right. between correct. the two, right? Uh, something like that, correct. right? Yeah. Um, and they that is where the Japanese Air Force One is based as well. So there's this very neat hangar as you're taking off. If you're sitting on the left-hand side of the airplane, you can see... The two 747-400s, and I think there was another support airplane there as well in this immaculate terminal, which is very, very cool to see. I just found out recently, actually, that there used to be long-haul service to Amsterdam. KLM ran it for about five years in the late 90s and early 2000s. And Cairns, weirdly, I suppose it's because it's northern Australia, there used to be a direct service that Qantas did for a few years. But that's that's about it, which is strange because... Hokkaido is where Asia goes to ski, the best skiing in Asia and Australia, I mean, Australia as well. So I'm surprised it's not served by more international beyond Southeast Asia airlines, but it certainly has the capacity and infrastructure to be able to do that. It's a very, very good airport, very easy to use, loads of, uh, of good amenities, like I said, and very easy to get into town and beyond for skiing. So I liked it. I liked it a lot. 
it's hard to dislike Japanese airports because of the orderly fashion, everything happens like you mentioned earlier, because they're always clean. They're very efficient. There's nothing beautiful about them most of the time. The one, Haneda, yes. But for what I recall from Nishitose, it's a very, you know, it's well laid out. It's well, well thought out. It works really well, especially for, like you say, you can enter the airport like 30 minutes before your flight and you're making it. But there's no beauty about it. It's more like uh, function. Yeah, it's very functional. It's, yeah, it's there's not a whole lot of character, but it's, yeah, it's a very... But it works. Uh, yeah, it's exactly. a very good airport. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a big uh, hotel there if you want to stay the night, if you've got a really early flight and you can't bear to to battle the, the rush hour at Sapporo Station, which I can understand. It's pretty intimidating train station. Oh, all the big train stations in Japan yeah, are. It's very true. It's very true. I, I remember I was living next to my station was Shinjuku. Uh, so, and when friends were coming over to visit me, I was like, trust me, you want me to come pick you up because if your first experience at central Tokyo is Shinjuku, which is like, what, 4 million passengers? You're never going to find yourself you know, anywhere. <laughs> They're all overwhelming at Shinjuku. At the, I had to brace my knees and say, okay, this is going to be pretty intense. That's Shinjuku, and Sapporo was the same. It's, yeah, it is. But it's a nice place. It's um, it's worth visiting as well. Um, not only the airport. I'm talking about the island for the crab. Did you eat crab? We did absolutely at their <laughs> at their little the, the Skiji fish market, which was amazing. You yeah. have yeah, you have uh, man, man, crab man. don. I guess it would be. We'll cover other airports in the region in Hokkaido because I've done others as well. But yeah, uh, me, when I was going there, I was doing that route, not on 777s, but on 747s. That was really fun. Like doing wide bodies on such routes. It's, is so, like, yeah. it's so great, especially when you've got that Japanese efficiency. It's like a mind-bending how yeah. fast it can. I was boarding, what was it? The other day, it was there was this 321, and it seemed like boarding took like 25 hours. And I'm like, how is it? never stopped and i was like my goodness sakes you know it's, it's, <laughs> these are the limits of the single aid aircraft think, yeah as well at some point you cannot build a bigger because it takes way too long to board anything else you wanted to mention about you no no i think that's it i think it's a it's an interesting airport with an interesting history and we have other japanese airports not only the ones i just mentioned but the ones you've done this time and also other times yeah there's a lot of but we try as you, as you can see guys we try to balance continents and and i know we don't go enough to australia and we don't go to africa and we don't go to latin america because we suck because we don't know these airports very well so uh, but we we have a long list and probably the next one will be karachi which was in and of itself the airport a very interesting experience. I bet it was. <laughs> My God. I liked it, actually, but it's very, very specific. It was fun. Uh, so what are you next flights? You just said uh, Abu Dhabi, right? Abu Dhabi, yes. Yeah, so uh, London to Paris on Air France and then oh. Abu Dhabi and back. Uh, you haven't flown? Never. Well, I've flown on Air France when I was a teenager, but I, ha- I don't recall it. So I'm, I'm going in with fresh eyes. I'm very interested to see what it's like. And of course... Etihad for the first time, and then a couple of short haul, and hopefully that will be the end of it for the year, because this is, oh, I've already broke my record for this year. Yeah, me too. Wow. And for me, it's not over. But yeah, Air France, are you flying business class? Yes. Or, yes. The food, even on such a short haul, is very good. And I especially like, you see how they present you the the cutlery, the napkin. You'll, you'll see, you'll tell I'm me. It's very French. It. But I, uh, I know that uh, people love to hate Air France, like people love to hate United. See, guys, we didn't say anything bad about United yep. in this episode. Right. As for me, so since Alex doesn't go to Astana until January, I decided to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, so, but in the order, I'm first going 
flying to Serbia in Novi Sad, actually, but I'm flying obviously to Belgrade. That's going to be with Lufthansa. Then I'm flying to Astana. Also with uh, Lufthansa, because for some reason, Astana, uh, the, the, the timings are not great. Timings aren't yeah? great, no. But on the upside, it will be in wide body, so I'll have the actual lifelight experience of business class in Lufthansa, which I keep reading against, so this time I can actually tell you if I like it or not. Nice. Um, and then, uh, just after that, I'm going to uh, Riga. So all, just in the next week, <laughs> and all, all places that have snow, uh, and I just came back from Malaysia and Karachi and Doha and places where it was, I'm really not prepared for that, man. I don't know how I'm going to go for that to snow. <laughs> and then uh, Tokyo afterwards and others. As usual, we don't know where we're going to record next. We're going to find time for sure. Thank you for bearing with us. You know what? We never know how long the episodes will actually be in the yeah. end because we edit them. But we recorded two hours today, so it should be a good one for you. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> and on that, happy travels. Safe travels, guys. Bye.